The Long Box Crusade presents... Action Film Face-Off. This episode, it's 1975 versus 1996. Two films enter. One film leaves. Two men enter. One man leaves. Two men enter. One man leaves. Two men enter. One man Welcome, 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 one and all to Action Film Face-Off, the show where two random years are selected. My brother will bring an action film from one of the random years, while I bring an action film from the other random year. Then those two films will do battle using a variety of criteria, and a champion will be crowned by the end of this episode. This episode of Action Film Face-Off is sponsored by Omaha Bound Entertainment. Omaha Bound is your best choice for hard-binding those special comic books in your collection. The guys over at Omaha Bound do only the best high-quality binding, and this might be the best part. They custom design every cover, so every single hardcover they design is unique. In short, when you get your comics hardbound with Omaha Bound, you'll know that you have a truly one-of-a-kind collection. Even if you're not into comic books, if you're just here for the action films, if you collect any kind of action film magazines, guess what? They combine those two. In addition to binding, they also sell special trade collections of hard-to-find comics. All of this is available on their website, which is omahabound.com. Treat yourself in those special comic books right. Go to omahabound.com today. Speaking of which... It is our 20th episode. So happy 20th, Jason. Wow, the big 2-0. Can you believe it? <laughs> I can't believe it. 20 episodes of Action Film Face-Off. That means we've done, hang on, carry the ones. 40 movies. Yes, we've watched <laughs> almost 40 movies. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Let me introduce you to your co-host here. It's my brother, a U.S. Army combat veteran of Kosovo and Iraq. It is Jason the Weasel Skull. Oh. <laughs> yes, indeed. We're going to score each of today's films on a scale of one to ten in five categories. Those categories are story, overall spectacle, best action scene, the hero, and the villain. And then there will be the deduction route, where up to 10 points can be subtracted from the film's total for whatever we determine is the low point of the movie. But let's find out what this episode's first action film is going to be from my brother and co-host, a U.S. Air Force combat veteran of Iraq, and a combat self-defense instructor, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Pro. Thank you, Jason. Now, before our two films enter the Videodome arena for the 20th time, we are thrilled to kick off this episode with special shout-outs to our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks that have joined our crusade. They enjoy discounts from my online store, which is theyardsaleartist.com. You get early access to special longbox episodes, voting on show content, and so much more. Here are the folks reaping the benefits of giving so much appreciated support to the show. And Helica Wolf. Ow. Bill Beer. Blast it or stash it. Bob Busta Busta. Braxton Underwood. Dave Collins, but you know him as Battle Wagon. Battle Wagon. Gene Hendricks. 
Gerald Green. Greg Van Leuven. I, the Collector. Ivor Evans. Jeremy L. Don't squeeze the Jim German. <laughs> Joe Thomas. John Watson. John and Maggie. Jose Poyo. Maxwell Traver. Miranda W. Paul Heeks. Reggie Hancock. Rick from Jeff and Rick Present. Ronald Went. Ross Michaud. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Toronto Cop. And our one-time donor, Bradford Williams. If we miss anyone on our list, we certainly apologize. Keep in mind, we record these episodes well in advance of release. So if you're a recent addition, we should be adding you soon. But still, no worries. You can let us know we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com. Pat will appreciate the correspondence and we will get it straightened out. Now, you might be asking yourself, how do I become a Crusaders Club member? So how do I become a Crusaders Club member? Well, it's simple, Jason. For almost everybody, just head over to Patreon.com and search for the Longbox Crusade. For as little as $1 a month, you'll get access to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club. Come check it out. So does Delvin know you're not allowing him into the Longbox You said it was almost anybody. I'm, right. I'm assuming it must be Delvin that is not allowed into this Crusaders Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's yeah, what it's, I thought. It's good. Yeah, it's Delvin. There you go. <laughs> Okay, so I'll just keep waiting my, mm-hmm. my membership mm-hmm. acceptance. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. All right. Well, let's get back to the combat and learn a bit about the film Gladiators about to battle for our and your pleasure. This episode, I was assigned the year of 1975. And let me tell you something, folks. Since this is our 20th episode, we felt like doing a little something special. Mine's going to feature one Sean Connery. I wonder if Jason's will, too. What? I don't know. Yeah. Did you oh. boys say Sean Connery? Oh, my God, he's here. Which one is it? Is it Zadas? Uh, no, I got 1975, so I selected The Wind and the Lion. Oh, that's one of my best. Did you see how I changed my accent? So I sounded <laughs> like a Berber? Sure. Because I was like... I'm a Berber. <laughs> you see? Do you see that? Yeah. There's a lot of layers, uh, sir. Uh, anyways, The Wind and the Lion starred Sean Connery, Candace Bergen, and Brian Keith. Jason, what year did the randomizer select for you, and were you lucky enough to find a Sean Connery movie in that year? Well, I got 1996. Did you say 1996? Oh, oh I know what this one is. <laughs> And I put into our video dome arena, it's The Rock, starring me, Sean Connery, that little girly man, Nicolas Cage, and Ed Harris. He's pretty cool. <laughs> Should never have invited him on set for the 20th anniversary. He's like edging me off my seat. Mr. Connery's very excited to talk about the wind and the lion and the rock as they enter into our video dome arena. So we've got a fine matchup, folks. Now, it's important to point out that this isn't Jared versus Jason versus Sean Connery. Jason and I each had to select from our assigned year, so I might very well like his selection better than mine or vice versa. This is all about us discussing some beloved action films and coming to a consensus on which one is this episode's champion. Now, spoiler warning, if you have not seen either of these films, 75 is The Wind and the Lion or 1996 is The Rock, we will give you an opportunity to pause here if you want to watch them before we continue and spoil the crap out of them. So, we will get back to you at the other side of this musical interlude. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed both of those films. Let me jump in with some quick info on 1975's The Wind and the Lion. 
Secretary of State to the President. On July 12th, Mr. Ian Pedicaris and his family were kidnapped from their residence in Tangier, and their servants and retainers brutally murdered. This act of barbarous criminality appears perpetrated by Moulay El Razuli. Do not laugh at me again. Sheriff of the Riffian Berbers and last of the Barbary Pirates. I am the true defender of the faithful, and the blood of the prophet runs in me, and I am but a servant of his will. We're going to make good an escape. Must seize the government and make our own negotiations. What about the French, the Germans, the British? Damn the location! Roosevelt made an agreement with that man being held over there, and President Roosevelt keeps his agreements. If I had my way, I'd invite him to settle this thing between the two of us. Cast and crew are as follows. It starred, as we already know, Mr. Sean Connery and Candace Bergen. It was directed by John Milius. I want to say this is another repeat performance for him. Didn't he direct Conan and something else that we've done on Action Film Face-Off before? Yes. <laughs> Jason went with a solid yes. Yes, he was the writer on Magnum Force, which we covered on this show. So John Milius has been popping up. 
here and there on action film face off. He's done a little bit. He's done a little bit. All right, here's your synopsis. Stay with me, folks. It's a quasi-historical film about America's involvement in Morocco in the early 1900s. One man's warlord is another man's freedom fighter as the Rasuli kidnaps an American woman and her two children in Morocco. This gets the attention of President Roosevelt and foreign intrigue commences. Things get all mixed up and convoluted as the Germans, French, and Americans all make power plays for Morocco. Battles ignite, bullets fly, who's the hero, who's the villain, who's right, who's wrong. It is murky, murky, murky as hell, but it's fun to watch. Let's get into the trivia. After receiving a list of BBFC requests to remove the horse falls, so I believe this is the censorship bureau in England. Okay. Writer and director John Milius withdrew this movie from intended UK video release in 1990 and claimed that no animal cruelty had taken place. So basically they wanted him to cut out all the horse fall shots because of animal cruelty. He said no animal cruelty had taken place. And his claim was supported by stuntman Terry Leonard, who threatened to sue the BBFC for besmirching his professional reputation. So a little bit of a battle going on about horse falls. Mm -hmm. And we will come back to that. Interesting trivia number two. According to writer and director John Milius, when this movie was screened for President Gerald Ford, Ford remarked that he recognized the place where they filmed in Yellowstone National Park because he used to be a ranger there. Milius refrained from informing him that the entire movie was filmed in and around Spain. (laughs) (laughs) That's diplomacy right there, fellas. (laughs) That that is diplomacy. And finally, the final battle, which is pretty cool. I'm sure we'll talk about it. Took two weeks to film. Real dynamite was used. And all the horse falls that you see in there, because there there are a lot, were done by four American stuntmen. So every horse fall you see is one of four guys who did it. Lens Credence, too, they had very specific people to do those stunts to make sure that the horses were not harmed. So, you know, pick your sides of the battle if you're with the BBFC or if you're with John Milius, but uh, it sounds like they did their level best to make sure that the horses were okay. The horses, unlike Roger Moore, did their <laughs> own stunts. <laughs> it never gets old. All right, I'll turn it over to you, sir. And now I will give you the rundown on 1996's The Rock. Following is a state secret, gentlemen. Disclose it to any party and you will be subject to prosecution. His name is John Mason, British national incarcerated on Alcatraz in 1962, escaped in 63. There's no identity in the United States or Great Britain. He does not exist. Secrets have a way of coming back to haunt you. There's a hostage situation on Alcatraz. Hostage. 81 tourist. The rock's a tourist attraction. The one you train to defend you becomes your greatest threat. A battery of VX gas rockets is presently deployed to deliver a highly lethal strike on the population of the San Francisco Bay Area. And the one you abandon becomes your only hope. You go talk to him. Me? Yeah. Hiya. I'm an agent with the uh, F- FBI. I'm Stanley Goodspeed. But of course you are. At least he got his name right. Now, all that stands between a city and a disaster... The power of this chemical is way beyond anything you can imagine. That's where you're coming with us. ...is a man who's never seen combat. You're a chemical freak. <laughs> I'm a chemical super freak, actually. And another who's been out of action for 30 years. Show us on the blueprints. I can't. My blueprint was in my head. 
Fortunately, some things you'll never forget. But don't worry, it'll all come back to me. From Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, the producers of Top Gun and Crimson Tide, and Michael Bay, the director of Bad Boys. Welcome to The Rock. We got visitors. Sean Connery. You sure you're ready for this? I'll do my best. Your best. Losers always whine about their best. Yeah. Nicholas Cage. Listen, I'm just a biochemist. I drive a Volvo. Beige one. So what do you say you cut me some friggin' slack? Ed Harris. Fire. Starred Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, and Ed Harris. It was directed by Michael Bay. So let's get like hopped up on cocaine. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Explosions! Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> Quick trivia fact: Michael Bay actually directed our promo for action film Face Off. If you've ever heard that, <laughs> we had to tone it down a little. <laughs> anyway, back to you for the synopsis. When a disgruntled spec ops officer takes over Alcatraz Island with an arsenal of chemical weapons, it's up to a nerdy FBI chemical specialist and a septuagenarian prisoner to stop him. This unlikely duo uses their skills and wits against an army of badasses and awesome action ensues. And so I had a couple cool pieces of trivia from here. And one was that Sean Connery had a cabin built for him on Alcatraz Island so he wouldn't have to travel back and forth during shooting. And number two, some of the SEALs in the movie were actual Navy SEALs. And Michael Bean admits to being so overawed in their presence, as well as the presence of Sean Connery, that he actually froze up on set. And finally, Arnold Schwarzenegger was offered the role of Mason, but he turned it down because the script wasn't complete and he just wasn't sure of it. And he later regretted it. Hmm. I may be jumping ahead, but the movie with Schwarzenegger in my head is cool, but I think it was such a uh, comeback film for Connery. You know what I mean? And I yeah. Just, I just wouldn't want to see it any other way. I, the Schwarzenegger version in my head is pretty good, but what a cool comeback for Connery. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Ladies and gentlemen, test your might. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. It's a street fight. All right, all right, all right. Fighters are in the arena. It's young Connery-ish versus older Connery. <laughs> yeah. Middle-aged Connery versus old age. Older Connery, but he's still got it. Let's get into round one. Round one is the story. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you? How engaging and original is the story? Well, let's find out. We will discuss the stories of both movies, and then we will give them some scores. As Jason said earlier, they'll be on a scale of 1 to 10 when we get to that point. 
And keep in mind, five is average. Five means it's okay. It did its job. So set your barometers appropriately. And if you want to play action film face-off match game, this could be an interesting episode because these movies are kind of all over the place. You can mm-hmm. go a lot of different directions with them. So let's find out. Jason has not seen my scores. I have not seen his scores. We match a lot. So I'll be interested to see how often we match in this one. So with all that said, let's get back to the story. Jason, give me your thoughts on the story of The Wind and the Lion from 1975. Well, I absolutely love this story i mean it's historical fiction and i knew you'd love it yeah (laughs) and it's it's right from my uh wheelhouse i love the theodore roosevelt administration he's my favorite president honestly you know truth can be more exciting than some fiction and i think this is one of those cases there and obviously this is dramatized up so i mean it didn't exactly happen like this but having the time period the backdrop of morocco in the middle east and all the characters in there The actor that played Teddy Roosevelt was just spectacular. You know, the theme is just changing times, people resisting to changing times. And it's it's as relevant today in some ways as it was back in the early 1900s. So I absolutely adore this story. I knew you would. (laughs) I I know you well. I know that you're big in historical pieces, be they fiction or sometimes nonfiction. And I enjoy them as well. You tend to enjoy them more than me. Let's find out what happens in the scoring in a little bit. But I liked it too. I was sometimes frustrated during the film because, you know, I'm kind of a clear cut guy, you know, who's the hero, who's the villain. And yeah, that's not that in this movie. It is not that movie. Some people do some things that you can agree with. They do things you don't agree with. And every character has that. Every single main character does things that you like and things that you don't like. That's the world. It's as murky as the real world. And as these real historical events tend to be, when you go back and you look into the history of that region of the world, be it Africa, you know, North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, Middle East, that whole area of the world was a crazy time as all kinds of countries were getting involved down there. It's not a clear cut story is what I'm trying to say. So if you're the kind of person who likes black and white, clear cut stories, kind of like I am, this one may not necessarily be for you, but there's a lot of other reasons that we will get to that I think you should still watch this movie. And that will sum up my thoughts on The Wind and the Lion from 1975. Jason, take us over to San Francisco. <laughs> Where you got the flowers in your hair. <laughs> Do you have any snacks? (laughs) (laughs) Not in the Schwarzenegger version. (laughs) Go to San Francisco. Francisco. Do you have have any snacks? (laughs) I have snacks. He's getting very heavy. (laughs) (laughs) How's your bowling arm? (laughs) That actually does sound pretty good. That wasn't bad. What are your thoughts on the story of The Rock? Well, that stretching sound that you hear is my suspension of disbelief. (laughs) (laughs) But all told, I did like the theme of the mistreatment of soldiers after Mm -hmm. Desert Storm. Mm -hmm. And I guess in my little research that I did in preparation for this film, I think it was Jerry Bruckheimer was reading through a 60 Minutes article and kind of learned how soldiers had been abandoned behind the lines. And that kind of was the genesis of Ed Harris's character. I thought that that was kind of interesting. It's almost kind of like an odd couple, an action odd couple. You know, you kind of have this unlikely duo of the nerdy FBI chemical specialist and the 70-something former inmate (laughs) 
Yeah, Grizzle, basically James Bond if he'd been captured right back yeah. in the early days. And the two of them happen to work together, and there's a lot of good chemistry there. It was very entertaining. So even though you know the plot eh, was kind of a little leaky in some places, the character development and the overall bones of the story were very good. I'm going to agree with you. I think the plot is fantastical. But if you accept that for that sort of wild ride 90s movie, Mm -hmm. we could easily compare its plot to Escape from New York, right? It's pretty fantastical as well. But it's it's like a glorious 80s movie, right? And it's the same thing here. I think this is a glorious 90s movie. Like, this is going to be one of those movies that encapsulates the 90s. When people talk about movies from the 90s, this is going to be one of them. And you're right. What really makes it work is the chemistry between the characters. Nicolas Cage's performance, Sean Connery's performance, Ed Harris. Harris's performance, a freaking slew of awesome supporting actors all around them. I mean, it was like 15 credits in before I didn't even recognize the name. I'm like, I know that person. I know that person. And Candyman in it, man. Candyman was all up in there. I'm telling you, I knew tons of those actors. So it was like a perfect storm and a wild ride. And yeah, it definitely has some 90s extravagance, Michael Bay extravagance. But overall, I thought it's a very compelling story. I can remember a friend of mine who had gone to see it. And I was, when this movie came out, I was but 19 going on 20 and my friend was a was a guy in his 40s and and he was explaining to me the plot and i was like i've got to see this movie because that's how he put it to me he's like imagine james bond got captured back in the 60s they put him in prison but they got to break him out to help, help resolve this issue and he and nicholas cage go do some stuff and i was like i gotta see that so in the end i thought it was a lot of fun and you i like nicholas cage was almost like q yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> nicholas cage brought a lot of humor and well we'll talk about it anyways let's score these things let's go back to the win of the lion 1975 jason on a scale one to ten how much did you like this story will we play match game i doubt it but i've been wrong before i'm giving this one a 10 man i really <laughs> love this story flawless victory no match game whatsoever i, I, I thought not <laughs> yeah i should have listened to you should have trusted my instincts i scored it a seven we're not super far apart i liked it but you know you love historical fiction. You love those timepiece movies. Those, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not timepiece, but period piece. That's what I'm looking for. Yes, like period piece. There you go. Yeah, More than I it, do. And it's one of my favorite periods in history, too. So, I mean, Oh, fair enough. It's my Venn diagram right there. It really is. And for me, it's a strong seven. I like it. I enjoyed watching the story and going through it but i'm sort of like i said sort of more of a clear-cut guy and it, it frustrates me when i don't have a clear-cut hero and villain which we will get into shortly so anyway overall seven i liked it i could easily recommend it while i'm thinking about it just a little tip for everybody if you rent the movie on Amazon and you Chromecast it, there's a pretty cool feature that when you Chromecast the movie to your TV, your phone will then flip over, the screen will change, and it'll say, do you want some trivia on this film? And you can just start scrolling through trivia on the movie while it's playing. On your phone. Wow. I thought was pretty cool. Neat function. Anyway, that has anything to do with scoring, but I scored it a seven. Jason scored it a 10. One, two, 10. One, two, 10. Let's go to The Rock. One to 10, where you got it. Like I said, it was really kind of a basic story. I relied a lot on the character development and the set pieces and the action pieces. The story itself, I scored a six. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a crazy kind of night because we are not match gamed once again, and I scored it at an eight. Ooh, you really <laughs> like this story. 
I like this story. I'm a simple kind of guy. So all right, man. We're all over the map. This is going to be some interesting totals tonight. Based did you all even watch these movies? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Mr. Connery. Your performances are going to be favorably looked upon. I'm quite certain. Better be. <laughs> That's it for my round. All right. Well, let's get into round two then. And let's talk about the hero. Hadouken! So how cool is the hero? How compelling? Or the heroes in the case of The Rock? So let's talk about Wind of the Lion. What did you think of the hero? Who did you consider the hero? That's kind of, oh, I had a hard man. time wrapping my head around that one. I flipped and flopped. I'm still unclear who the hero is. At the end of the day, I don't know if you can see it. I know you folks at home can't. Jason, I don't know if he can or not either. As I zoom in, it says hero Connery question mark. (laughs) (laughs) I've decided for scoring purposes, just to have a number to put in the box, I'm going to consider Connery the Raisuli the hero of the film. Although he does a few things that are less than heroic, but he is in the end a man of honor. In many ways, he's a brutal man, but a man of honor. And nobody in this movie is a squeaky clean hero. Everybody does some things you like and some things you don't like. So ultimately, just to cut through the chatter, I decided that Connery was going to be my hero for the film. Okay. His performance is very good. He is everything you expect from Connery. He's very likable and magnetic in certain places. He's very harsh and cruel. His action scenes are good and believable. I liked his performance a lot, and I'll hand it to you. Did you pick Connery as the hero? (laughs) I did not. I, too, struggled with this, and this is kind of my thought process as I went through it. I think you have to look at it more as protagonist and antagonist than hero and villain. Because like you said, there's not really a clear-cut hero or villain in the story. So I asked myself, who really changed on this journey? And so the answer to me was Mrs. Pettikaris. That's fair. And her children. And her children, yes. They started the story in one place and with one view of the world and the world in which they were living. And through their journey with Sean Connery as the Raisuli, they came out different and viewed the world differently. That's my long way of saying I chose Mrs. Pettikaris. She was a strong character. I mean, she was growing up in a man's world, a widowed woman with two children. She matched up very well with Sean Connery and the Raisuli. There was a lot of chemistry there that I appreciated. So that's where I landed Candace Bergen as the hero, and, and I liked her. I did too. Even though she was captured and she was the center point of getting her back and all this, she was no damsel in distress. She nope. was not taking anything from anybody, and she was in charge of herself and her children at all times. Yeah. Mad respect, because I would have been crying. I mean, <laughs> please don't cut my head off. I, I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> These people scare me. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let's flip the script and go to The Rock. Here it was a little more clear. A little who, bit. Who the heroes were. Even and though it, still gray, because your antagonist was actually quite the heroic person. The general was a hero yeah, in many ways. I guess that's a lesson of uh, you need to be careful who you surround yourself with as friends. <laughs> Yeah, but let's be honest. Let's focus on who are the heroes of this film. Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage are your primaries. Mm Mm-hmm. 
with a nice little backup boost from Michael Bean. Yes. Uh, uh, Wasn't all around very long. <laughs> but so we will focus on Connery and Nicolas Cage. We've mentioned it earlier. They both give great performances. This was really a comeback party for Connery. I mean, he never really left. I mean, this wasn't that far removed from, you know, Hunt for October. And I'm certain he did something in between there. Did you see how I did a Russian accent? <laughs> Here we go again with the accents. It was like this. Check it out. All ahead full. Oh, <laughs> very convincing he was charming nicholas cage was funny they made a great duo part of me as i was watching it was like how did this never get a sequel i would have loved to seen them or just team up on another project i think the two of them together was good chemistry i really enjoyed the heroes their comedic banter and for a movie as fantastical as this is it still felt real their relationship felt real to me. I don't know why. I know it's a fantastical film, but I don't know. I just really like their performances. I thought it started off right at the beginning with Nick Cage in that scene when Sean Connery escapes and goes to see his daughter. Yes, yes. And and Nick Cage is pissed. Like, he's been chasing this guy all around San Francisco, but he can't bring himself to humiliate Sean Connery in front of his daughter. That spoke volumes about Nick Cage's character. Mm -hmm. And Sean Connery's reaction to that, I thought, was very genuine and that kind of got that relationship on the right footing Mm -hmm. yeah stanley goodspeed was the first person in probably 30 years to treat him like a man and i thought that was cool and actually show him some respect Mm -hmm. that was really cool and it really just kind of progresses from there and they kind of learn off of one another and to your point i did read that apparently there was a proposal for a sequel in which I guess the government figures out the good speed has the film. You know, <laughs> at the end. So he has to go to Sean Connery for help as he's getting chased by all these agencies and everything. So unfortunately, obviously it never came into development, but it's an interesting concept. Hmm, very cool. So yeah, but in summary, I really like both the heroes in this one too. So let's talk about it. Let's get some scores. What'd you score Sean Connery as the Raisuli as the hero in The Wind and the Lion? I gave Connery the solid seven as the hero. I mean, if it was based off performance, I'd probably give him a nine, but he's a murky hero. I liked him and he was captivating, but there are other things that he did that were less than honorable in some ways. So I landed on a seven overall. The whole hero villains category is going to be murky, but that's where I landed. Seven. What did you uh, score? Mrs. Petacaris. Well, we had our first match game because I scored her a seven as well. Match game. Yeah, I thought she was well above average. Candace Bergman, obviously, is a sensational actor, a legend. She really brought a strong performance. A compelling performance as we see her, like I said, progress from being kind of in disdain of the Raisuli and the Berbers to in fear of them after she's been captured to learning to maybe not accept, but respect their ways. And and so I thought she did a really good job as an actor developing that character throughout the movie. Heroes in the Rock. We got Connery. We got Cage. What'd you score him? That's a powerful combination. It's a one-two. It is a one-two punch. Almost broke to the top score, but I landed at a very solid nine. Ooh, we are close. I went back and forth. I thought about a nine. I flirted with it, but in the end, I came out with an eight. An eight. You're a four. <laughs> We need to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the heroes. We put them to bed. It's up to you. I will take us into round three.
Round three is the villain. How menacing and or entertaining is your villain? Jason, let us once again wade into the murky, murky <laughs> waters of the wind and the lion from 1975. I guess just tell me who you picked as the villain. I picked as the villain who you picked as the hero. And I almost did too. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's weird. And again, villain is too strong of a word. This is the protagonist. This is the guy that is absolutely going to put his feet in the sand and say no further. He is not pleased with progress. He's not pleased with the colonization of his lands. He's seen his ways and the ways of his ancestors fading away, and he's willing to do something drastic to do it. And on the surface, yeah, murdering a household full of people and kidnapping a widow and her kids, that's a villainous thing to do. Mm -hmm. But as we learn throughout the course of the movie, things aren't always exactly what they seem. Fair enough. For villain, I wrote down question mark. <laughs> You're like Sean Connery in Celebrity Jeopardy. <laughs> I really did. I was like, there's not really any villainy. Again, every character does things I like and does things I don't like. I don't know. I wrote down question mark and I have a score accordingly. And that's all I can say. <laughs> score question mark. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think there was ever a truly villain. Uh, we kind of talked about this earlier. We may have been off air. So I'll, for our listeners, there's a German military officer who looks very much like every main villain from an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I thought, when I was a kid and I watched this movie, that's who I thought, oh, that's the villain. Yeah, he looks villainous. He's got that German sharpness to him and you're like, yeah, that's, that's a bad dude. A and scar he, on his face. Yeah, and he does some maybe less than scrupulous things too, but he also has moments where he's absolutely a man of honor. Yep. There, during a final battle scene, he has an opportunity to just straight up kill the Rasuli, played by Connery, and he goes the honorable route because all Rasuli has is a sword, so he also pulls out his sword and says, let's do this like men and not like animals. And so he's... I don't know. It's, yeah, it's it, tough. Question mark. Question mark is who I have for the villain. This movie is very strange in that category. I think you're right. I really kind of wish I would have thought about it in protagonist and antagonist, but it's too late to change my scorecard now. I wrestled with it too, man. I'm not saying that I'm right and you're wrong. It's just kind of... I like your tact better than mine in retrospect, but... It's just kind of how I was able to wrestle it down. <laughs> Got to. Well, let's go over to The Rock, 1996. A little more clear cut even though our villain's not necessarily villainous but some of the people around him sure got that way quick talk to me about it your main bad guy is played by ed harris as colonel hummel number one i think ed harris is just a terrific the guy. general sir general sir <laughs> you're gonna be insubordinate at least do it with some respect <laughs> ed harris is a terrific actor he portrayed you know a really tortured soul you kind of saw at the beginning the fact that his men were abandoned their families weren't given any any type of military funeral or compensation that obviously didn't sit well with him. And I think obviously his wife had passed away. So he's dealing with a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think it puts him over the edge and he goes to the only thing he knows, and that's to go to war. And in this case, to go to war with his own government 
to redress grievances. Mm-hmm. So you have him. And then there's also David Morse, who's another terrific actor I like. Yep. And, and he played the, uh, I think his name is Major Baxter. Yep. And I liked him too, because it's like you got Major Baxter's kind of between Hummel and then the rest of the men. Some of the men who have obviously been with Hummel and Baxter for a long time. Some are new guys. So you kind of got this chaotic mix of some guys that are really bad guys. And then the tortured soul of Harris and Morse kind of caught in the middle of all that. Mm -hmm. So it's really an interesting dynamic with the villains in this story. I 100% agree. Things are looking good for The Rock as far as scoring goes, because we've said this a hundred times. Great villains make great action movies. Don't waste a villain. And they didn't. I'll be honest with you. We all know that uh, I have admitted to my great shame on Action Film Face Off. I'm an emotional movie watcher. This is one of the very few movies that gets to me emotionally in the opening scenes. (laughs) When you hear the radio chatter of the men left behind it's hard to listen to it is hard to listen to yes and he goes to the cemetery and it might not mean a lot to people who aren't military like jason and i but he goes to the cemetery to visit his wife's grave and what does he leave on her headstone he leaves his medal of honor yep that's powerful yeah he knows what he's about to do yep he knows he doesn't really deserve that anymore and she does yep powerful scene people want to clown michael bay That was spectacular filmmaking. Yeah, he got it. He got it. He got it. And so from that moment, from the beginning, the very beginning, when we see that from General Hummel, he's just a complex villain, not really a villain. His problem was he surrounded himself with villainous captains, not unlike myself. (laughs) But that probably feels the same way. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But the whole crew, I mean, you you mentioned we had Tony Todd, the Candyman was there, Uh, Woodbine, Bokeem, I think is his first name. Oh, that's right. Yeah. As Sergeant Crisp. And I'll tell you right now, we warned you about spoilers, people. That is the actual moment where I started to think that Ed Harris his character, General Hummel, became an actual villain. When he shot Sergeant Crisp, who he had served with in Desert Storm, and Sergeant Crisp was only there out of loyalty to General Hummel. When he shot him, and Woodbine plays it great with that look of surprise, like, I can't believe this man that I've honored and followed for years just shot and killed me. Yeah. That's a, wow. Just to be fair, though, he did draw down on him first. He, he, uh, he was conflicted. They're all conflicted. They all play it so well. I know. When your your villain crew is just, oh, man, I guess I could go on and on. But what a great and powerful crew of villains look for a high score for me. Yep, same. All right. So you went with Connering in The Wind and the Lion, 1975. What'd you score him? A 10. No, Mr. Connery. <laughs> Good try. Yeah, I like how he tried to do your accent. <laughs> yeah. Did you see how I did his accent? I made that little Weasley voice. You know the one. <laughs> Anyway, I scored him a nine in this movie. Ooh, nice, nice. Yeah, he did a great performance. Uh, Over at question mark for villain, I I couldn't find a villain. I didn't know who the villain was. So it just kind of did its job. It got the five for me. Yeah, I would have gone the same route if I was you. Just a five. Like, okay. All right. Villains over the rock. We seem to have a lot of impassioned things to say. Both of us were pretty impressed. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling like we're both at sort of a nine ten kind of range. Where are you at? Where are you at? Uh, well, if you remember, I scored the heroes an eight, and I think the villains were matching the heroes in this one. I gave them an eight as well. Oh, I thought you were a little bit higher. As I was, I went with a nine. Oh, nice. So, so far, only one match game halfway through the scoring. But yeah, I went with a nine. Man, that's just an ensemble cast. Just great. Every time I think about it, I think about other actors that John C. McGill yes, yes, was yes. On, the, on the crew. The dude from Renaissance Man was like the other evil captain. <laughs> like I recognize everybody. And the they guy all with the man bun that was his... <laughs> man bun dude. Yeah, I recognized him. I got other things to say about the villainy and what happens, but I think I could probably approach them in the action scenes realm. So that's it for the villainy round. I'll hand it to you to the next round. In the next round, we're going to start talking Talking about some spectacle. And that's overall spectacle. We say how visually engaging is the film, but we're also talking about score. We're talking about stunts, effects, cinematography, all that good stuff. All the things that kind of come together. You throw it in the pan, mix it up, bake the cake. How does that cake taste when it's all done? Mm-hmm. And we'll start with the wind in the line. What do you think of the spectacle, Jerry? When we do all put all those ingredients in it basically it's to me is a, a number of how much am i will i check my phone or lose interest spectacle was pretty strong and wind in the lion action beats at the right moments every time i started getting a little bit lulled with the whole politics of everything you know i like things that go boom and bang 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 <laughs> but every <laughs> time I, politics feel face off about, <laughs> about the time i would be going for that phone they throw me an action scene and they're all pretty good but I think the most standout thing from the spectacle was the cinematography and the scenery and just the all in that they obviously did for period costumes, extras. I mean, there are scenes with hundreds of people in them. And this is before the whole digital crowd aids. These are real performers with 42 different things going on, all choreographed, all brought together. It's one of those epic films like Lawrence of Arabia or Khartoum or movies like that. If you've seen those, they all have just an amazing cinematography, no wasted shots. Everything looks beautiful. So that's really the source. I think the strongest source and the musical score was pretty good too. We're pretty much a lockstep with this one. I said the same thing. My first bullet's just wonderful sets and cinematography. Yes. And I thought all the characters, they look like real characters, like those Marines. They didn't look like movie star Marines. They look like real Marines, you know? Oh, a little trivia for you. There was real Marines used. I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it looked legit. They did all the drills leading up to that uh, assault on the Mm -hmm. power. Those were all actual drills, all Mm -hmm. executed properly. I was like, man, I'm really impressed with the level of detail (laughs) on this. They did not mail it in on their military technicalities. Yeah, I thought that was really good. I also love the scenes with Teddy Roosevelt. I know those weren't action scenes, but again, as a homer for the period piece, I really like seeing him surrounded by his staff, his friends like John Hay, uh, the Japanese ambassador, Alice, his daughter. It was almost like as close to seeing a real version of Teddy Roosevelt, I think, that I've ever seen on screen. And I really appreciated that. And then I'll just wrap it up and saying, I agree with you. Great, great music. There's a little spectacle in The Rock. What'd you think about it? <laughs> very, very, very much a spectacle film. It's funny to think about this in a time when Michael Bay's name was not widely known. In fact, in my trivia research, I learned, and you may have too, that 
a lot of the things that Michael Bay wanted that the studio was saying no to took Sean Connery to get what he wanted. Sean Connery would go with Michael Bay to meetings with the producers and be like, now y'all need to listen to this guy. Yeah, I did read that. And then apparently, I mean, that's about all it took was Sean Connery <laughs> going on. Basically, you want me in this film? Listen to what this guy says. You know what he's doing. So we've reached a point in humanity where it's cool to poop on Michael Bay. You say, oh, he does stupid, vapid flashbang movies. Thank God for that. (laughs) And while I am not the biggest fan of the Transformers franchise, so I could see if that was maybe a turning point for some people. I wonder how Delvin feels about that franchise. I think he's undecided. Uh, I want to take this moment in the spectacle round to stand up for Michael Bay, because even if you don't like him now, maybe he's lost a step. Maybe his cinematic style isn't what people crave now in the 90s. Bad Boys and The Rock, Mm. they were and are awesome films. You can never take that away from him. If I have any complaint about the spectacle in this film, I recognize it now as a man in my 40s as opposed to a 19, 20-year-old kid who saw it. Man, he does a lot of flash cuts. I don't think that guy, I don't think he held a scene for more than eight seconds to the whole dang movie. Well, some of those flash cuts are kind of necessary. Yeah. Because it was like Connery. Stuntman Connery. (laughs) We had to get there real quick. And I'll tell you straight up, I'm not going to take it away in the deduction route because it's just how he made the film. Mm -hmm. And so it can be a little jarring, but not like Quantum of Solace jarring. I can follow what's going on and I appreciate that. So it is very rapid and very high speed. There's tons of action, tons of explosions, great camera work. I don't care what you say. The man knows how to film the slow-mo pan around circle thing is kind of his signature and it freaking always works for me i love it so (laughs) absolutely there is so much to like whenever i think about this movie the parts that get me i already mentioned the dramatic stuff up front with ed harris and the cemetery and that's just whoo that's that's something and the shower room scene is another one that's hard to watch so people who say he doesn't do drama i disagree but maybe you have to be military like jason and i to feel the drama of those scenes those are hard to watch yeah scenes so kudos to him for that i think hans zimmer i think did the score for this film i reserve the right to be wrong but i think it was hans zimmer uh-huh. very upbeat very just drives with the with the action driving stunts i mean God, i could go on and on it's a visual spectacle feast it's a great great movie as far as spectacle goes i did read that they had a couple of um writers on there quentin tarantino uncredited writer on there and Aaron Sorkin. So I think that might have something to do with the tightening up of the script. Very Um, memorable lines. Yeah. Memorable lines. Mm -hmm. And Cage ad-lib most of his. (laughs) (laughs) But we cut the chit chat (laughs) (laughs) a-hole. I feel the same way you do. I mean, he's never going to direct an Academy Award winner, but by golly, he's going to put a lot of energy and excitement in whatever he does. And in this one, there's just tons of slick action. There's a lot of high octane scenes. When we get to the best action scene, usually I just gave up. I just, I was like, I was trying to break it down. I was like, I just give up. And it's just like one one scene after the other. I feel the same way. I was like, where do, I I was really relying on you for when we get to the next round of action. I was like, I was, man, I hope Jason separated these out because I don't know what to do. I literally, I got through four and then I just did number five. I'm just going to say, pick something. Just pick something. <laughs> so much. 
And then we got to also just kind of talk about San Francisco as a backdrop again. Mm-hmm. San Francisco is a great backdrop to fill them in. And then to just have that action contained on Alcatraz Island. What a great idea. And I really get jazzed by that rock and score, especially with those actions. Mm-hmm. Bum, 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 bum. You know, just. Oh, yeah. On Zimmer in great form. I mean, we could talk all night about the spectacle as well. I, you know, I'm going to say one more thing. To me, the most memorable scene, I think I started on this track earlier. Very simple, though. It's after he gives himself the atropine and then goes to pop the smoke. Yes. It's so well filmed. You could see his desperation, like, please, God, don't bomb us. (laughs) Jets are coming. The smoke's flaring. It ties back to Michael Bean giving him direction at the beginning. I was just like, dang, it all came together. I just love that scene. I love it. Yep. I also like Sean Connery's, like, throwing the knife in that guy's throat. You must never hesitate. I felt like Nicholas Cage that moment. I was like, Jiminy Christmas. <laughs> what have I got myself into? All, all right. right. Well, I guess we better start scoring these. We'd better. We could talk spectacle on the rock all day. All right. What did you give spectacle for The Wind and the Lion? Well, I'll be very honest with you. When I finished watching it, I wrote it down as a seven. Mm-hmm. I have changed it while we were talking because I just kept remembering the amazing location and commitment to the period pieces as far as like clothing and weaponry. And I bumped it up to an eight. I, I think it is not the same kind of spectacle as The Rock. You're going to see those two scores are pretty close. Very different spectacle, but beautiful sweeping score, beautiful locations. That's what's memorable to me. And I'm going to give it a solid eight. Our second match game. So there you go. I gave it an eight as well for exactly the same reason. I mean, you just don't see movies made like this anymore. Uh-huh. And more's the pity for it. Ah, it's it's just a beautiful film to watch. And I agree a hundred percent. And we'll we'll go into that here in just a second with The Rock. Very different types of spectacle, uh-huh. but both very good. Well, speaking of, what'd you give spectacle on The Rock? I came close to going max again. I just just held back that perfect 10 and gave it a nine i think if it hadn't had so much jump cut action it could have pushed it to a 10 but man it's a dang respectable nine for me not quite as high as a nine i landed on an eight for it jump cut action kind of got in the way there a little bit for me still well well above average still entertaining as heck i'm ready to watch it again (laughs) i introduced jordan to it let my son watch this one even though it was rated r i made him cover his eyes during the rooftop scene But he really liked it. He was like, man, that was pretty cool. And I was like, you're dang right, it's cool. It is cool. That's the end of round four's spectacle round. Let's move into round five. Let the mayhem begin. Round five is the action scene. This is action film face-off, ladies and gentlemen. You better have some pretty good action scenes if you want to make the grade. I think, once again, we're going to see very different types of action from one movie to the next, but I think both are very enjoyable, but I will let Jason do his thing. Well, we'll start with The Wind and the Lion, and I have four. The first is the scene where they do the raid on Pedicaris' house. Mm -hmm. They have the guy that she's having tea with, and he just was like laying out some fools with that, that pistol. Dude was ice water in the veins, didn't waste a bullet. I was and impressed I, with that guy. <laughs> so I titled this one The Death of Green Four's Great Grandpappy. <laughs> That's a deep cut, my friend. <laughs> if anybody out there gets that, the death of Green Four's Grandpappy. Well, I thought Green Four was serving tea. <laughs> this guy was serving tea. 
Green Four got jumped and start whooping some tail. This guy got jumped and start <laughs> whooping some tail. I think this guy's related to Green Four. <laughs> That's amazing, and I love it, and I'm sure the 0.4% of our audience that gets that reference loves it as well. Very good. I was impressed by that guy, too. I actually made a note. I was like, this guy did not literally did not waste a bullet. He hit everything he aimed at. Yeah, and he just ran out of ammo. That's all the guy. If he had more bullets, he would have won that fight. Yeah, had a backup <laughs> gun or something. Anyway, number two is when Pedicaris is turned over to that other tribe that obviously have less than noble intentions for her and her kid as she's rescued by the Raisuli. He goes old school. I mean, he goes biblical on those guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I called that one Connery the Berberarian. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Oh, and I want to point out, too, that, again, she's no damsel in distress. She didn't miss a beat. She picked up the nearest weapon and jumped right in. She, like, stabbed (laughs) that dude with a spear, man. she did. (laughs) She did not miss a beat. She was like, oh, it's on now. Yep. (laughs) That was impressive, I will say. So scene number three, where the Marines stormed the palace. I call that one, Sharif don't like it. Rock the (laughs) Casbah. Okay, I like it, I like it. And then the final battle. I just called that one, I'm bored, let's fight. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's basically what happened. I think that's what happened. They're like, let's go fight some folks. Yeah, I'm bored. And then like the Germans were like, no, we'll fight. The Arabic dudes out in the desert were like, yeah, we should probably fight too. Oh, There's like, a big, massive fight. I don't even part. know who was fighting who. I don't know who was fighting who. Everybody fight everybody. It was a little confusing. <laughs> oh, All very right. cool. Very cool. Now, you don't have to score it, but let's find out which one you landed on, which one I landed on, and then we'll head over to the rock. I chose number four. I'm bored. Let's fight. I'm bored. Let's fight. Okay. I thought that one was just awesome. I mean, that was just a chaotic mess. We had cannons. We had machine guns. We had rifles. We got swords. We got people on horses. We got shotguns. Man. I can respect that, but it's not the one I picked. You know what I picked. I think you're going to say you went with Connery the Berberarian. That is correct, sir. I think Connery That was a close thing for me. A lot of great cinema work, like when he was chasing that dude down on his horse. Going through like the the, the, water. water. Yeah, I was like, dang, that's cool. And really just a great moment for Connery to shine. It really felt like you could have plucked that scene out and stuck it in a Highlander movie and it still would have been awesome, you know? Yeah. Because Connery was doing his thing. Great selections, though. I I don't poo-poo yours one bit. It was very much the epic battle scene you would want from a movie like that. It was a darn good climax, I thought. But I I respect your choice, too. I kind of weighed that one because as far as the visceral getting Connery center stage on the action, that's definitely the one to check. So, uh, yeah, you've already admitted that you had struggled over on The Rock because there's just so much. Yeah, I started with the scene where Stanley gets the nerve gas at the FBI agent. I called that one Who Passed the Gas. (laughs) It's a very good tense scene. Then there's the chase. In San Francisco, where Mason makes his escape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I called that, Du hast meine Humvee gestohlen. <laughs> I'm only borrowing your Humvee. There you go. Then there's the shower scene ambush. I called that one, Don't Drop the Soap. Hard to watch. That was hard to watch, yeah. The morgue fight, he's got something on his mind. Yeah, I'm drop that. <laughs> You've been around uh, a lot of dead bodies. Is that normal? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> and then I gave up. I was like, just pick something. So, Jared, just pick something. Anything Dude. that you really liked in this movie. After you, sir, what was your favorite action scene in the movie? I really like the morgue scene where he comes in. And I'm including the part where he 
throws a knife. He fights the guy with the machine gun, drops the big AC unit or whatever is on his head. They get chased out into the shaft. They have to go down in the shaft cars and they end up, I think that's the first time that Goodspeed actually shoots somebody. somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Connery set somebody on fire. <laughs> I still can't quite figure out why they gave him lighter fluid and some matches, but hey, he had it. Yeah. It. I really thought this would come into play as part of the breaking in to prison, mm-hmm. but really just used it to set a dude on fire. Yeah. But I like that whole scene. I think that's probably one of my favorites. If, well, I guess that is my favorite. That's the one I'm picking. I was with you. I was like, I don't know how to break this up. I'm going to pick a very similar scene, but not the same one. Mm-hmm. I like the one that starts off with the mutiny. Basically, the candle gets lit and General Hummel kills Sergeant Crisp. Mm-hmm. Another, again, another very well emotionally acted. Everybody wants to poop on Michael Bay, but man, it's good stuff. Yep. And then they go in guns blazing. They drag him out, which leads to good speed tracking down the last rocket and Connery kind of running cover for him against that sniper. Yeah, that was cool. And and I know that could probably be split into some scenes, but I'm basically taking it from there to the end of the movie. From the moment of the betrayal to the end of the movie is my favorite piece of action. I'm kind of pulling a black hole here where I picked the last third of the film as my action scene. Well, I mean, it just all kind of runs together. It's really hard to find natural points where they break. And I came so close to picking the same one as you did the more fight that spilled into the caverns and the, yeah. Oh, nothing left to do but score them, man. Let's go back to the wind and the lion. You liked the epic final battle to the tune of. I liked it to a tune of eight. I really enjoyed it. All right. We're close. I liked Connery, the barbarian, the fight on the beach to the tune of a seven. I thought it was very solid. Very cool. Let's go to the rock. You liked the morgue battle. I liked basically the final section (laughs) of action. (laughs) Final third of the movie. (laughs) From the moment the mutiny takes place to the moment the F-18s drop bombs. What'd you score the morgue scene? I scored that one in eight as well, kind of along the same themes we were talking about. Different types of action, different types of spectacle, but both were very good. And we are going to play match game for the third and final time of this episode. I also scored my scene in eight. Sometimes I feel like on movies, like every action piece is basically the same score, like eight, 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 eight. Yeah. I didn't think it was head and shoulders above anything, but I just, that was my personal taste. That would be my main complaint, minor one for this movie. Not enough for me to take a point off. That final action sequence really wasn't anything different than the other action sequences that we'd seen throughout. So there wasn't really one that built up into a big action climax. Exactly. No one like a fireworks show with a big... Yeah, I guess it's a a pacing issue. When it's all action all throughout, it's really kind of hard to... Getting up to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Good stuff all the way through. So I believe that will bring us to the end of our action scene round. And you know what? No, I got one more thing to say. I could see an argument for the shower scene, and I know I'm doing it again, emotional film face-off, but it's just so hard to watch that scene, man. I know I mentioned that before, but it's one of those things where there's a couple crazy guys in the room, but ultimately nobody wanted to be shooting anybody else, and it's just Mm. absolute tragedy unfolding on screen. It's just, oof. I find it hard to watch to this day. Yeah, that is hard. And what really gets me is the last guy that was down there with good speed and Connery. Oh, man. It's like they were begging him to don't go up there. And he knows he's going to die since he goes up there. But he'd rather do that than stay down there. That's the one that that just gets me right in the feels. Hits you right in the heart every time because you're like, yeah, he knows he's going to die, but he can't leave his boys. Tough to watch. Tough to watch. But, ah. 
Good guys win in the end. Good guys win in the end. Some dude gets a VX gas pellet shoved right in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, and then an uppercut. Pow! <laughs> well, Jason, do your thing, man. Deduction round. Minus it. Got you f***ers at a bad time. Are we going to minus anything from Wind and the Lion, Jared? Reductions for the ridiculous? No, yeah. sir. I found nothing ridiculous in that film at all. Zero deductions. Same. What about The Rock? During The Rock, I did do one deduction. Really? I did. Because here on Action Film Faceoff, we take our military authenticity very seriously. We actually lauded the wind and the lion for its military authenticity. Yes. For, this, for that scene where they took over and the American troops took the building in Morocco. During The Rock, the final bombing scene, they call in the United States Air Force to bomb Alcatraz. What kind of aircraft bombed Alcatraz? That was an FAA-18 Hornet, Jared, flown by the United States Navy and United States Marine Corps. That's right. Those are not typical Air Force jets. If they want to call the Air Force, it should have been an F-15 Strike Eagle, but they used F-18s. Now, I have been told, have not verified, but I have been told that those F-18 Hornets actually do belong to the United States Air Force. The Air Force has a couple of them for like testing purposes. But still, if you're going to use the Air Force, use the signature aircraft of the Air Force. I certainly hope that that story I was told about having a few in the Air Force inventory is true, because otherwise... That means they went and took FA-18 Hornets and spray-painted United States Air Force on the side of them over a United States Navy. <laughs> Why would you do that? So, minus one for using Navy jets in an Air Force role. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. That's the one I was going to minus as well. So. <laughs> oh, you got the same one. Yep. You had the eagle eye or strike eagle eye, as it were. That's right. Well, folks. It's time to do some math. That's right. That's the end of our rounds. Now, don't worry if you haven't been keeping up with the math at home, folks. We do that for you here at Action Film Face Off. And looking at the judges' scorecards, the winner of this episode of Action Film Face Off with a score of 79 to 76. Close one on this 20th episode Connery Duo Special is The Rock. That was close. Very close. Two very different types of films, you know, but both really good. Let's just say congratulations to The Rock. And let's head over to the randomizer and find out what the years are going to be for our next episode. So my brother Jared will be pulling a film from... Choose Your Destiny. 2019. Wow. Not going back in time very far. Mm-hmm. There. I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to pick from last year, man. Yeah. Which Marvel movie is it going to be? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I got to give it some thought. And I will bring a film from Choose Your Destiny. 1983. Oh, I like that vintage. That is a good one. I do too. Good movies from the 80s are hard to beat, man. So what will those films be? We'll tease them on social media for those of you who want to watch before listening. And we're talking to you, Dave. Or you can tune in next episode and find out. 
Well, until then, I'm Jason Weasel Skull Albrick, and you can find me on social media at Weasel Skull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find me, Jared Albrick, the Yard Sale Artist, aka Death Probe, at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And you can check out my YouTube channel where I do live art streams, and that's Yard Sale Artist. You search for that, you will find me. Be sure to check out all the shows under the Longbox Crusade umbrella by subscribing to Longbox Crusade on iTunes, Google Play, pretty much all your finer podcatchers or you can check us out directly at www.longboxcrusade.com if you'd like to send us a question or a comment you can do that a couple of different ways we do have our own twitter page which is at affo podcast we'd love it if you came over there gave us a follow chatted with us we love chatting with people over there we love people who are passionate about their movie opinions so stop by and do that also, you can hit us up through the usual Longbox channels. There's Longbox Crusade, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can talk to us over there as well. We will happily engage in any conversations. Just make sure you tag us at Yard Sale Artist and at Weasel Skull. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, if you want to interact with us with live chat, be entered to win some free stuff on our live raffles. Join us for our next episode of Doing It Live Stream over on YouTube. We do them on the second Sunday of every month. We always start at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. You can get signed up for that by looking up Longbox Crusade on YouTube. Please subscribe to our channel and click the bell so you get reminder notifications of when we go live. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you listening. And until next episode, keep your head down and your knuckles up. The intro and outro theme to this show and all of our action film face-off shows are done by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it. Oh, yes, yes, that's nice. (laughs) My magnum opus. Did you see Uh, my beard? It's on point. (laughs) Here it was on point, man. That was looking good. <laughs> so when disgruntled spec ops officers, uh, ah, when a disgruntled spec ops officer, op, try this again. When a disgruntled spec okay, ops, hang on, I'm laughing. Hang on. <laughs> Which was really cool, by the way. But, <laughs> but <laughs> how amazing! Butthole. Did you get out of the cell? Could be helpful. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> that was great. Oh, boy. That's pretty. <laughs> Actually, true life story. A couple of years ago, Julie and I went to San Francisco. We took a tour of Alcatraz Island. And for a uh, long time listeners to Action Film Face Off, this is our second movie that had seen on Alcatraz Island. Correct. Um but uh, so back to true life story, they have a little spot where you can join up with a tour, right? So I, I was going to go get a tour guide, found this tour group, started following them. And I didn't realize that this was a special tour group. It was law enforcement officers. So they were taking us to places in the island that were closed mm. to, to the public. So I got to see like all the... And I was for like 45 minutes into this tour before they caught on that I didn't belong there. <laughs> and I was just like, I had no idea. And so they're like, well, screw it. You know, just let them keep coming with us. And, and so, uh, but just to finish that story, that scene where, where Goodspeed um, punches that guy uh, in the, and breaks the chemical. Mm-hmm. 
that was actually in the laundry room, which is closed to the public. That's where they filmed that that scene. So I got to see like right where they they filmed it. It was pretty cool. If I was you, I would have gone all in, by the way, and told everybody that my name was Sheriff J.W. Pepper by the by. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody cuts Sheriff J.W. Pepper off the tour. (laughs) 